Hello and welcome to an energy sport special ahead of the biggest game of a generation as Scotland's men look to qualify for a major tournament for the first time since 1998 when they take on Serbia in their UEFA Euro 2020 playoff final in Belgrade. My name's Sean McGill and I'm very excited to be joined by the founder of the Tartan Scar, Gordon Shiak. Gordon, thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing? Have the nerves taken hold yet? Are you all right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. It's I so bad, sleep. I'm physically <laughs> shaking all the time. Um, I, w- I was okay up to the point that I saw the guy, the guy Braveheart Lynch. Um, he's got a YouTube channel. He's on Twitter. He does these. He's the MVP of Scotland national team video content creation. Mm. He put out his preview video for the game and good Lord, I was watching it and that, I felt physically sick. <laughs> yeah, I saw it as well. It's just like, oh... Uh, Really today, I think, I don't know if it's just because it's the week of, but it just properly yep. has hit me, like, just how big a week this, this is. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us a bit, first of all, about the Tartan Scarf. Uh, when did you set up and what is it that you, you do over there? Yeah, so basically, um, I I set it up last year, sort of just after um, Steve Clark became Scotland manager. Um, it was an idea that I'd had for a little while, um, professionally for a career, I work in sort of PR, sports marketing, um, I'd been doing a diploma in digital marketing. I'd been really keen just to sort of create something that was personal, it was my own a little passion project, a place that I could experiment with different things, with written content, audio, video, graphics, and just play, just have some fun. And obviously mm. I'm a massive Scotland fan, Scotland's huge football fan, but I have no real emotional attachment to any club team, Scotland are right. my team um it, i kind of i got a little bit um i got that feeling feeling quite old when you're doing your intro saying it's the biggest game <laughs> in that generation because i can actually yeah. remember us being at france 98 at the world cup yeah although in fairness i was nine that it's kind of my in, initial memories of watching football and that was the mm. emotional connection forged at that world cup and i was like that's the team for me it's our team it's scotland's team um and yeah, i didn't think it would take so long for us to get back that's interesting that you don't, you don't have really any club allegiances that is just Scotland. Do people find that odd when you say that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I am, the, yeah. I am everyone's favourite. I'm the weirdo <laughs> in every conversation, <laughs> which, which, to be fair, if you think that I was quite slick explaining, uh, explaining this, is because I've explained it a million times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. My mum my, my mom, my mom and dad really didn't really have much interest in football, to be honest. Like, mm. I've got friends who they were born into their support of their clubs because their, their parents, mums, dads loved the team. They had no choice. Whereas my parents weren't really that into football. So I grew up aware of football, but to me, you know, it didn't mean anything to me. There was no connection. And like I said, it was, it was watching Scotland at the World Cup in 98. That's what made that connection because all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is our team and that's my team. You know, we all share this. And for me, and I kind of, strange way that that's what I love about international football so much is that any club allegiances any any nastiness just goes completely out the window because this is something that literally everybody in the country can share and I don't know I I think that's quite nice yeah I'm the exact same a lot of my pals think I'm a bit weird because how much I get excited for Scotland games but I mean Scottish football particularly is so sort of divisive and volatile so when you get these little breaks of the season where we're all rooting for the same team and the same players and celebrating the same goals. Like me and my pals don't celebrate the same goals because we support different teams. So when you go to a Scotland game together and you're all jumping up and celebrating a John McGinn goal or whatever, I think there's something really, really special in that. Well, of course there is, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I will happily admit 
to feeling miserably jealous every couple of years, especially in the last few years when we've seen Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, mm. Wales, England go to major finals and you see these videos of the fan zones and they're throwing pints up in the air. And I'm sitting at home thinking, when is that going to be our turn to do that? You know, just those moments of just, like you said, it's national unity. When is that going to be our turn? And it's just the jealousy every two years is, oh, it's miserable. Yeah. So please let this be our time. <laughs> Oh yeah, hopefully. Um, so where's um, being a Scotland fan taking you? How have you, um, have you travelled a lot with the squad? Because you said you're sort of just sitting there watching the telly in 98 and then mm -hmm. you're going to be writing about them a lot. So what's happened in that sort of the gap in between? Yeah, so basically um, 2007, um, that was when we were trying to qualify for the Euro 2008. Alex McLeish was in charge. Um, th that was when I started going to home games. Um, it was just before I started university and I was going to be going to Strathclyde in Glasgow. So it was handy for getting to games at Hamden. So Alex McLeish's first game in charge, actually, when we beat Georgia 2-1 at Hamden, that was the first home game I ever went to. And then a couple of years after that, I started transitioning into getting to the occasional away game. Um, I went to Lithuania in 2010. That was the first away trip I did. Um, it was a nil-nil draw. It was Craig Levine's first game in charge. The game was so forgettable, but the trip was great. Um, yeah. And since then, I've been to about 10 or so away games, different countries around Europe, um, place, places you would never expect to travel to. I must say, Lithuania was not on my bucket list, um, yeah. but I had a great time there, you know. <laughs> and circling back to the Tartan Scarf, um, how, how good has it been to see the sort of progress of that? Because like you said, it's only just over a year old, but it seems to have picked up a really good follower. And like we were saying uh, just before we started recording, that you're now getting... Um, you're now writing about Scotland in national newspapers. Yeah, it's been it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, frankly, I'm absolutely over the moon that, that anybody reads it. You know, as as I said, this was it, it was a place that I started just to have a bit of fun and play with. And frankly, if no one had read it, I still would have enjoyed doing it. It was still going to be fun for me. Um, I'm fortunate enough that you know we're now up to almost fifteen hundred followers on Twitter. We're getting really good numbers. For the articles that I do um, but you know what I think one of the things that it pleases me so much out of this is that I now get some folk approaching me sending me DMs on Twitter which are always open by the way um, and saying I've written something about the national team I don't really know what to do with it can I put it on your site and the answer is always a resounding yes I mean if I if if my site can be seen as some sort of a, a content hub for aspiring journalists for just people who love football who love the national team who've got a unique story to tell and they want a place to tell those stories I feel like my door will always be open to that so that that's been the most pleasing aspect of it and yeah you're right that Henry Winter from the Times we exchanged some messages today and I managed to contribute a couple of quotes to a piece he was doing about the Scotland team and that that's that's far beyond where I ever thought <laughs> this would go. That's brilliant um, and there was an absolutely fantastic piece written by yourself on the site uh, just last week where you go through and dissect each of the unsuccessful qualifying campaigns since France 98. <laughs> what made you do that? Was it just some form of self-torture? Uh, I, I think, I think you just summarised what, what, it, what it is to be a Scotland fan. <laughs> self-torture, yeah, yeah that's, a good, um, that's a good definition. Um, it, was, it was a fun idea, you know, basically mm. as soon as we got past Israel and we knew that we were heading towards this playoff final. It was going to be 90 minutes from qualification. Um, I just thought, you know, again, my, my approach with the Tartan Scarf is always that 
I don't want to I don't want to create stuff that everybody else does because frankly there's loads of people who know far more than I do about football they're, they're better at tactics they've got better contacts than I do so I always try and think what what's the kind of unique perspective I can take on the issues or on the matches or on the squads um, and yeah looking just doing a sort of retrospective of every <laughs> every campaign since 98 seemed like a good as, as, as good an idea as I I'd had um, I, I, it was a lot of fun you know a lot of good memories some good some not so good but you, you can't have the good without the bad definitely um, which one of those campaigns would you say was the most heartbreaking is there one that still sort of keeps you up at night <laughs> um, obviously a lot of people would look look back to the Euro 2008 campaign when we had with France in the group, we had Italy in the group, we had Ukraine in the group, um, which by the way I just need to point out that I, I don't think there's ever been a more unlucky team in world football than us, the fact that three consecutive European Championship qualifying groups we had the team that had just won the World Cup, I mean that still to this day blows my mind. We had Italy, we had I didn't Spain, even we had that. Germany. Until right? I read your piece, um, it hadn't really yeah. clicked with me, and, and it's just it's absolutely mental. Absolutely, absolutely insane. You know the fact that the World Cup, any team in the world can win that three times in a row. <laughs> it's a team from Europe. Three times in a row, that team from Europe goes into Scotland's next qualifying group. That is horrifying. So, yeah, a lot of people would obviously look at the 2008 campaign. Um, that was absolutely devastatingly heartbreaking to lose that game against Italy in the last game but I think for me personally I would look at the 2016 Euro 2016 campaign mm. when we had Germany Poland Republic of Ireland because obviously the, the hope and expectation was a lot higher because the Euros have been expanded from 16 to 24 teams so there was a real expectation that we were going to go and qualify and then we had a good campaign but for me personally I was going to every game so the only game I didn't go to in that group was Georgia away. You know, I went to Germany, I went to Ireland, I went to Poland, which were just, it was a, an unbelievably good year for trips, that one. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to the last game, the situation seemed so stacked in our favour because all we had to do was better Ireland's result. We've got Poland at home, they've got Germany at home. So in your mind before the game, you're thinking, well, they're going to lose to Germany. Obviously, Germany won the World Cup. They'll lose, so we just need a draw, and we're in the playoffs. And of course, we're doing our bit. We're winning 2-1. We turned it around, and then someone like two rows behind me at Hamden gets a text message, Shane Long's just scored against Germany. Ireland are winning 1-0. And just, it was one of the most surreal experiences in my life because you're in the stadium. The atmosphere had been rocking. It was such a good night at Hamden. And then the atmosphere just slowly died and it just got quieter and quieter as everybody realized that Ireland were winning and by the end when Lewandowski scores last kick of the game it didn't even matter I mean we could have yeah. won we still wouldn't have made the playoffs but just that last kick in the nuts was just so typically Scotland so that one's the worst one but because actually obviously had we qualified I'd gone to all the away games I would have been like sort of front of the queue with the away points system to get mm -hmm. tickets to the tournament it all seemed set to be the best outcome and it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, I really hope it's not the case again. It's just sort of gives you <laughs> flashbacks, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it does. I think before we get properly into this game, we should, I'm going to chuck out the disclaimer that I know that we have two other games in this international break and 
uh, they're potentially very important games and could ultimately uh, give us a great chance of qualifying qualifying for the World Cup. But I think our, our and, complete focus here Euro, this week and and the next yeah, Euros, of the, yeah, well. you're right, aren't you? Yeah, the the Nations League would jump up to our league, wouldn't we? So it would yeah, it would serve us very well. Yep. Um, so so if we if we get to League A, we'd we have a very good chance of getting a playoff for the next World Cup. We would definitely be seeded second for the next Euros qualifying, which obviously with the top two qualifying automatically, going in seeded second would be a big advantage mm-hmm. because that, that campaign I was talking about, 2016, we went in seeded fourth. So the odds were stacked against us. And then we'd still probably get a playoff for Euro 2024 if we need it as well. So yeah, qualification for, to League A is absolutely massive regardless of yeah. what happens on Thursday. Yeah, and 100% agree. And when those games turn around, Ma, I'll be excited for those as well. But I think this week, I think yeah. we're just completely focused on... All about on, Thursday. On Thursday, absolutely. Um, and I also want to talk to you about the man who's got us to this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone who listens to our football podcast here knows that Steve Clark is very much a man who has my heart. He gave us uh, the best moment, the sort of best years of my life as a Kilmarnock fan. Um, but what have, what have you made of uh, the former Kelly manager's tenure, and has is the perception of it maybe changed at all over the last maybe couple of international breaks? Um, I I was absolutely I was on the Steve Clark party bus from day one. I, I thought he was the absolute perfect appointment, right person, mm-hmm. right time, right experience. I've explained countless times to friends of mine that. From my perspective, if you've been Celtic manager, you've been Rangers manager, that's not really the Scotland job because when you're Scotland manager, you don't have better players than your opponents in every game. You don't get 60, 70% possession in every game. You know, the job is much more akin to, say, the Kilmarnock job in terms of the context of world football. That yep. You're a smaller team. You have to try and take, a, take points off teams that are better than you. And you've got to sort of create a system that will get your players playing more than the sum of their parts because you've got some good players and some less good players and you've got to find the ways to get the best out of all of them. And I think that's exactly what Steve Clark has done. I mean, people forget, you know, that a year ago when Steve Clark came in, he started his first, he beat, beat Cyprus. And then the four games following that, we lost home and away to, to Russia and Belgium. We conceded like 13 goals in those four games. We scored one. So, it, you know, confidence was on the floor for starters. Mm-hmm. And he really had, the onus was on him to bring in a system that would lock the back door first and foremost. And then we can try and build some attacking fluency on top of that. And I think what you've seen, we've got three clean sheets in a row. All of a sudden, you actually feel quite confident about, about the Scotland defence, which isn't something you could have said for quite a while. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I said at the time when he got given the job that um, international management's quite often just about getting the absolute maximum out of your players. Like you said, regardless of how talented they may or may, or may not be. And that's exactly what did it come on. He didn't make lots of signings. It was a it was the same squad that were bottom of the league and he carries them over two seasons to the best team outside the old firm. So um, I was 100% certain that he was the right man for the Scotland job. And like you said, he has improved the defence massively. That system now, do you think, do you feel like you are happy with it and the players do seem to be really sort of settled in this system now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've played, they played what, five games in a row now using the same system every time. I think when he first made the change, I was pretty shocked because 
yeah. he played for the best part of a year using variations of a 4-3-3 formation and then all of a sudden what a month before our potentially biggest game in our in our history he changes it and goes to this three at the back and there was a lot of a lot of shock and a few raised eyebrows at that but I think what you've seen especially in the last two games is that the players look so much more confident in it I think Scott McTominay at the back has grown in confidence with every game in that system I think he I think he brings a lot to the side you know obviously he's not a center back by trade but that's not why he's there he's there so he can potentially step up into midfield he can give little overloads in midfield add passing lanes you know and and yeah, I think something that really impressed me, especially for the, um, the second game in, in the last international break when, when we played uh, Slovakia, was that we were winning 1-0 and there was no backs to the wall in the last 10, 15 minutes. I don't think we even had a chance or had a shot. You know, we just mm. very calmly saw the game out and that speaks to real confidence that the team have got in the way they're playing and very, very impressive to me. Yeah, definitely. There was always a, a figure of his time at Kilmarnock that players knew their roles exactly and they did them um, to their best of their abilities. And now you see that. It, didn't, it wasn't really quite clicking before, but you see that now, certainly in the last international break, that everyone knows exactly what they're doing and mm-hmm. um, and they do it pretty well so far. So it's, it's great to see. Um, if we can now maybe just walk through the, the team and sort of talk about um, the different positions. I think it's indisputable that David Marshall was... The number one now, but um, Craig Gordon making his return to the squad is kind of the most interesting thing um, in that department. It's maybe a combination of Robin McCrory being in quite poor form for Livingston, but also Craig Gordon's start the season fantastic at Hearts, putting in a, a man of the match performance in the Scottish Cup semi final uh, the week before last. How do you look at that one? Do you think it is in terms of form, or do you think that you've also got to look at the fact that Craig Gordon's massive experience? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of both. I think there's there's absolutely no doubt that on Thursday night David Marshall will be wearing the gloves yeah. as Scotland number one, and rightly so. I think he's done very very well. Obviously, saving that penalty from Zahavi at the start of the uh, shootout really ramped up the pressure on Israel and helped us see it out. Um, obviously, you've got to bear in mind that McCrory's got quite important under twenty one qualifiers as well. So I think it's probably for the best that he goes back with the twenty ones. Um, I think something that is interesting when you look at the Scotland squad is that there isn't a single uncapped player in the squad. Mm. I mean, Clark has made very few changes, but the people he's brought in are guys that are phenomenally experienced. You know, I always like to think about, you know, international football, it's not just about the 11 guys who start the game or the three subs that come on. It's about the whole group and what they bring to the, to the, to the group and to the unit as they're in the hotel, as they're at training. And, to have a guy like Craig Gordon who's got so many caps he's done so many campaigns he's so experienced you know those are exactly the kind of guys the the calm heads the experienced heads that you want among the group because this is a massively high pressure game and you want the guys that have seen it all before and done it all before so I think that's what that's what's in Steve Clark's mind with bringing him back in. And do you think it's the same train of thought that's led him to include Grant Hanley in the squad this time around because that certainly raised some eyebrows on uh, last week when the squad announcement was made. A lot of people seem to be getting up in arms about his inclusion, but um, it seems to just be well, another experienced head, doesn't it? I think I, th- I think a lot of people have forgotten about him, to be honest. I mean, I must <laughs> say I was actually surprised he's still only 28, although I think really? I have actually seen reports that he's um, he's, having to, he's having to pull out the squad injured, so Ooh, I think right. he's sort of come back and then come straight back out again. Um, although, 
you know, I, I, I was very much behind him coming back in. You know, he's he's still playing at a good level. He's playing in the English Championship. I'm pretty sure he's still Norwich City captain. So, and again, these are, you talk about leaders in an, in an, an international squad, you know, it's more than just the captain on the pitch. You need leaders all across the pitch and at training. So, yeah, I was happy to see Grant Hanley come back. It's a shame he might have to pull out, but um, hopefully we'll see him back for games in the future. Yeah, that is a shame. So, um, sort of moving on now to the the defence you'd like to see. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, there's no way that Andy, Andy Robertson doesn't start at left at left wing back. I think we all know that. Um, it maybe gets a little bit more interesting as you as you slide over there because Andy Constantine finally and emotionally made his um, got his first call up and did that fantastic post match interview after the Slovakia game uh, with Sky. Um, and he performed perfectly well in those in those Nations League games. Um, did himself no harm at all. Is it ridiculous to say that he could give uh, Kieran Tierney a run for his money in that position? I don't think it's ridiculous, but I also mm. don't think it's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> no, um, I, I I would be stunned if it did. I mean, I think I, I absolutely think Kieran Tierney comes back in at the left side of centre back position. Purely also because that's now the system he plays at club level. You know, the problem that we had for so long with with Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson was that we were asking them to do things like when Tierney played at right back under Gordon Strachan that they just never do for their club teams. And I always get anxious when you're talking about international players that you don't have that much time on the on the training ground that if you're expecting them to suddenly do something very different to what they do at club level, that's not generally how you get success. Usually you try and replicate exactly what they do best for their clubs for their country but now you look at the system that Arsenal play and it's very much always now Kieran Tierney playing left-sided centre-back of a three with say Bukayo Saka playing as left wing-back so I think Tierney very much goes in at left-sided centre-back um a shame for Constantine because look I, I, you're right I think I think he played two really good games and that emotional interview that he gave I mean again that's what international football's all about you know yeah. I remember Stephen O'Donnell, when they had the sort of Latin America tour under Alex McLeish and Stephen O'Donnell made his debut, he gave a, a, a very similar post-match press conference and he was almost in tears at just how much it meant to him to play for his country. And that's what you want. Because you see that and you always think, well, that's what I'd be like cause as a fan. You know, that's how much it would mean to me to play for Scotland. So it's nice to see players feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. And another player who's kind of recently come into the Scotland fold um, is Declan Gallagher. And he's had a bit of a meteoric rise over the past few seasons, really. You've got those back-to-back promotions with Livy. He's now uh, Motherwell captain after being one of the best centre-halves in the Premiership last season. And he's also proved himself to be a rock at the back in the, in the middle of this in this back three. Um, what have you made of his progress and how confident do you feel now that he can sort of be that rock in the middle of the three? Oh, I'm ph- phenomenally impressed. Absolutely very, very impressed. Um, I think probably the best compliment I could pay to him from the three games from last month was that I barely noticed him in the matches, you know, because mm. ordinarily when you're used to watching Scotland play and you're used to watching Scotland defend, <laughs> defenders have some shaky moments, you know, they're they're uncomfortable on the ball, they're trying to pass it out from the back and they're giving the ball away and giving away turnovers and there's just a lot of anxiety that comes around a Scotland central defender and Declan Gallagher had none of that and I think the highest compliment you can pay him right now is that I would genuinely be saying that he'll start in the centre of that defence ahead of someone like Scott McKenna, who's doing well at Nottingham Forest, and ahead of the Leeds United captain, Liam Cooper. And I mean, it's quite incredible to think that a centre-back from Motherwell would do that, but I see absolutely no reason to to replace him. Um, 
I think I, th I think Clark's looking for consistency in the squad. You see that with the very few amount of changes he's made in call-ups. So I think he'll be looking for consistency in the eleven as well. Yeah, we've had this debate on um, our various football podcasts on energy sport, where um, we sort of different. We have different weightings in how much we view club form in terms of international football. I've always been consistent. I thought that I honestly don't care if Motherwell are bottom in the league and Declan Gallagher looks like a donkey every week in the Premiership. I think if he's still if he's putting performances like he did in those last three games for Scotland, then he has to stay in that back three. Are you the same that you just think that? If it's working in our system for our national team, then that's what we keep going with. Well, I think I think something that I've I've observed over the years for Scotland is that we can often be, and I don't know if this is our fault as fans or in the media, that we can be quite reactive when it comes to Scotland squads, that there's always a new guy that's sort of flavour of the month that the fans demand must be called up and must be put in the starting eleven. And that's how you see so many of our players that have got 10 12 caps when they get to the ages of like 25 26 27 and it doesn't help us become a better international team you know you, you look at other countries potentially with smaller player pools i mean the example i always use is, is looking at the success of, of northern ireland they have a vastly smaller pool of talent than we do but because of that they basically play the same players every week when fit and that makes them a better international team because they're better at playing together and I feel like that's something Scotland haven't done over the years. So any any approach that we can take that gets more consistency in selection, I just think it will make us a better international team. And I think that's what you saw in the last uh, last month when five when we, we played three games and we played much the same starting eleven, and the team just got better and better and better. It's maybe something I was going to touch on later on, but since you mentioned that now about um, sort of maybe players being viewed as flavour of the month, do you think that it's the right decision to leave out players in form like, I don't know, Kevin Nisbet or Ryan Gold or players like these who are performing very well from their clubs? And like you said, I think a lot of Hibs fans are up in arms that uh, Nisbet was included in the squad, but um, it's in terms of just sort of continuity for the squad. Yeah, I think I think it depends. I mean, I think... I think Gordon Strachan had quite a good approach while he was Scotland manager that you often saw him call up, call up a couple, there was always a couple of players more or less in every one of his squads that was almost, you knew was kind of coming along for the experience that like Andy Robertson was one of those players, for example, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of gets integrated into the first team, basically just to get to know how training works, get to know the standards expected of them, get to know the guys, and then we'll maybe see you next time, you know, and I think that was a good approach that you really just take your time integrating players because throwing a guy in at the deep end and expecting him to to be successful, you know, and then if he isn't absolutely successful from the first minute, our fans can be quite quick to jump on people's backs and decide that, that no, you can't do it, you're finished, and and just move on from them. So I think I think we need to always need to take a cautious approach when it comes to integrating new players into the squad, um, and hopefully Steve Clark does that going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned Stephen O'Donnell's um, emotional post-match interview after his debut. And since then, he's kind of been a player that's been quite maligned by the Scotland fans, I would say. I, I remember being at Hamden for uh, the Russia game. And it, well, it was a poor performance from Stephen O'Donnell. He did receive a lot of criticism yeah. that night. Um, but two, two or three great performances in the last international break, when Steve Clark was maybe looking like he was slightly favouring Liam Palmer. So... Would you re do you reckon that Stephen O'Donnell keeps his place now? 
I would be absolutely stunned if Stephen O'Donnell didn't keep his place for Thursday. Right. I think he, I think he will start because of that, because he's played the last three games in a row because of that continuity. But I would say, if Liam Palmer had been fit for those three games last month, I think we'd be talking about Liam Palmer starting at right back. Yeah, yeah, I'm the exact same. Um, and it's exciting times for the defence because you don't really feel too worried if one of those players drops out. It's kind of just a case of because the system's so good now and they are, like you saw Constantine come in who's um, definitely not the most talented player in that squad but he did a great job. So overall the defence is looking quite healthy which is a weird thing to say as a Scotland fan. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there have been changes in the lineup. You're right, like Liam Cooper played against Israel and then Constantine replaced him but the standard of of play from the back three did not change at all, you know. And even in the even in the last game when Andy Robertson was suspended and Greg Taylor comes in, you know, Greg Taylor's done absolutely fine when he's uh, deputised for Andy in the past. So, yeah, I, th- I think that again it speaks to the confidence that the group as a whole has in what Steve Clark expects of them. Because you're right, you take one per- one player out of it, replace him with another, but the system doesn't change and the performance doesn't change. So, yeah, take a lot of confidence from that. And a lot of it has been made of the abundance of riches that Scotland now have in central midfield. But it's been a tough question about how best to utilise them and how mm-hmm. to get the most out of um, whatever pairing or group you go with. Uh, with John McGinn, Callum McGregor and Ryan Jack, do you feel that Steve Clark has now done that? Do you think that he does know his, his most balanced midfield? Yeah, I would. again, I would say that that will be the three that will start on Thursday night, all things all things going well. Um, no mm. nasty surprises last minute, like last time. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think I think Clark has, he's tried a lot of different players. He's tried some different systems. I mean, John Flex had some games. John Flex obviously now, unfortunately, injured, but he hadn't been having that great a season for Sheffield United so far. Kenny McLean has done pretty well when he's been playing for Scotland. Um, obviously, he scored the winning penalty, so he'll always, he'll never buy a pint again in Glasgow. <laughs> um but yeah, I think for consistency selection and consistency of performance, I, I think absolutely that that three of, of McGinn, McGregor, Jack, that will be what we'll see on Thursday night. How important is John McGinn? Because for me, he has to be the first name on the team sheet. Oh, you, you absolutely, you can't, you can't underestimate the importance that John McGinn has to the side. Um, I think we've seen him achieve real success with Scotland by emulating exactly what he does for his club team. I think Dean Smith in his first season when they were in the championship, maybe he was still getting to grips with what John McGinn can do or how best to utilise him. Sometimes you saw him playing a bit deeper in midfield, but as soon as McGinn was given the licence to roam further forward, make those kind of late runs into the box that that have really become his trademark, you saw the goals come, and especially for Scotland as well. I mean, the record he had last season when what was he he scored seven goals in six games for Scotland mm-hmm. last season. I mean, if you're a striker for England, that's a <laughs> remarkably good hit rate. But for yeah. a midfielder for Scotland, that's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and he's, he's a scrappy wee guy. And, you know, uh, people talk about, you know, his kind of his concrete backside. I mean, the way that he can just shepherd defenders off the ball. He can turn them. He can get the ball moving upfield. Um, he's a terrier and uh, yeah, you, you you love to watch him. Love it. What do you make of um, Jack and McGregor behind them? Because there are players who have had, I think, it's fair to say, inconsistent performances in Scotland jerseys. 
Um, Callum McGregor, I think a lot of people have said he's really flat to deceive because you see him, uh, maybe not this season, but in previous seasons for Celtic, really sort of dictate games, take them by the scruff of their neck. Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of failed to do that in this uh, very different Scotland team, to be fair to him. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, I, Callum McGregor's a strange one because I know a lot of people... He, people, he, he's, he's sort of like, he can sometimes be a scapegoat for Scotland. That people say, mm-hmm. "What does he do for Scotland?" And if people look at it through a very narrow lens of, "Well, he's got no goals for Scotland. I don't know if he's got many assists for Scotland. Therefore, he doesn't contribute." Part of me wonders, you know, a football team—it's eleven players. It's a—it's a complex machine of different instruments, different parts that all work together. And I feel like he could be one of those guys. If you took him out of the team maybe the midfield just wouldn't work the same way that it does. You know, maybe he does the dirty work so other players can shine. Maybe McGinn wouldn't be able to shine as much as he does if he didn't have Callum McGregor alongside him. Um, and I think on on Ryan Jack, you know, I think you only have to look as far as his performances for Rangers in the Europa League, which have been phenomenally good. And again, as we said at the beginning of this about Steve Clark, you know, when Rangers go to play these big names away in Europe, those are kind of much more aligned to the situation and circumstances that Scotland find themselves in in matches where they're going away from home to play big impressive teams and Ryan Jack has to work phenomenally hard without the ball and he's been fantastic for Rangers in the Europa League so I think that bodes phenomenally well for Scotland. On Ryan Jack how refreshing is it to hear a club manager um, such as Stephen Gerrard say after the game, he took a player off at half time because he knows he's got a big final in a few days. It's quite odd to see club managers helping out the national team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially considering it's a former, um, you know, former Liverpool captain, <laughs> former England player, England you know, legend. taking <laughs> taking such a key interest in the success of the Scotland national team. Um, you know, perhaps if um, if it had been Rangers against Aberdeen at the weekend and it had been 1-1, 2-2, maybe Steven Gerrard might have thought differently. I mean, I think he had yeah, the luxury definitely. of doing that, given that they were running over the top of Hamilton Aki's. Um, but uh, you're right, it's a very kind gesture. Obviously, he took off Stephen Davis as well, because they've got Northern Ireland, they've got their playoff on Thursday as well. Yeah. Uh, we'll move up to strikers now. and there's only really one place to start with this, and that's Lyndon Dykes. Uh, just how big an asset has he been since joining up with the Scotland squad? He's been he's been he's been an absolute revelation. You know, I mm-hmm. again looking when I did that article, sort of looking back at all the campaigns, you see that you know playing centre forward for for Scotland is not usually a <laughs> a very glamorous task. Not a fun you know, usually, you have to do a lot of hard work, and you know, striker for Scotland kind of come in one of two schools. You're either in the Kenny Miller school where you just run and run all day, you press, you close everyone down and you do a lot of work on your own and try and feed off scraps, or you're in kind of the Stephen Fletcher mold where you're kind of dropping a little bit deeper, winning flick-ons, winning headers, trying to hold the ball up and bring our midfielders into play. And I think Dykes could very much be the natural successor to Stephen Fletcher in that Scotland side. Because if you remember back to when we were qualifying for Euro 2016, in Gordon Strachan's team, it was almost always Stephen Fletcher centre forward with sort of a, a midfield three behind him of Maloney, Anya, and Stephen Smith. And what you'd often see was Fletcher would drop deep so those three could go beyond him and he would bring in our phenomenally good attacking midfielders into play. And you see the way that Dykes does that. I mean, he's the ball sticks to him. He brings guys into play. The, the relationship he struck up with Ryan Fraser was really impressive. And I'm pretty gutted that Ryan Fraser 
is obviously injured and out of the squad, but we hope we can find a replacement for him. Yeah, speaking of that, um, how do you think Clark approaches that loss tactically? Because like you said, it's straight up a, a really promising partnership with Ryan Fraser. Mm. Do you think that maybe we revert to the semi-final, all the McBurney partners, Lyndon Dykes, or do you think that a more creative player is given the same sort of free role that Ryan Fraser was? I think... I think if you look at the team for Thursday, and we've sort of we've sort of been drip feeding it throughout this conversation, I don't think there are actually many questions to answer. But this one here, yeah. the Ryan Fraser question, is probably the absolute biggest one that will be keeping Steve Clark up at night. Because you're right, there, whichever way he goes with will then affect perhaps how the team set up tactically. Um, personally, I would love to see Ryan Christie take that position. I mean, Ryan Christie's been a guy who's been his versatility has been a real benefit for Scotland, but maybe it's also harmed him because he's kind of had to play in so many different positions for Scotland. But generally, he's done phenomenally well wherever you put him. I mean, when Steve Clark was playing the sort of 4-3-3 formation, for the most part, Ryan Christie would play on the right wing and sort of cut in on his left foot and put in crosses and put in shots, which he scored in Cyprus. He got assists against San Marino. You know, he was very impressive that way. I think... The most impressive part of Ryan Fraser playing up front, even though he had never played up front before, and before Steve Clark asked him to, by the way, was that defenders just didn't know how to defend against him because Ryan Fraser was able to make runs down the left wing, make runs down the right wing. He could attack wherever he wanted and link up with Lyndon Dykes. And I think that made him a nightmare to cover. And I think Ryan Christie, with his experience playing on the right wing for Scotland, but also he is naturally left-footed, so he could go down the left. I think he could replicate that kind of unpredictability in the free roll. Um, just the only thing he doesn't bring that Ryan Fraser does is he's just not quite as fast. I mean, Ryan Fraser's pace is frightening. And especially if you think how the game is going to go on Thursday, if we're going to be penned in, if we're going to have to be tight defensively and compact, we're going to have to have quick counters. Ryan Fraser would have been just phenomenal on the quick counter. But we'll have to do without him. Yeah. Um, and one player we've, we've not spoken about in an attacking sense is Lee Griffiths. Uh, Steve Clark has, has basically said that he will be uh, starting on the bench on Thursday. Um, but what a player potentially to bring off the bench if we do need a goal and we know there's danger from set pieces, most famously in the game against England at Hamden. Um, it's just fantastic to have him back in the squad, isn't it? Oh, of course it is. Absolutely. You know, he's undoubtedly one of the most natural finishers that Scotland have had in many, many years. And if you look at the role he's been playing for Celtic in the last couple of weeks where he does generally, he'll come off the bench. But again, he can be that wild card and you give him a chance, you give him a sniff any distance from goal, he's got a good chance of scoring from it. So I think he's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal option to have. And I saw in media reports today that apparently players who had played yesterday on Sunday, they were given the option to join up with the Scotland squad on Tuesday, but Lee Griffiths disregarded that and turned up today anyway, because he was just so desperate to to be there. Minute one, impressed Steve Clark. And it's that kind of attitude that, you know, you hear you hear a lot about positivity around the camp these days. You know, I've I've highlighted it before on my on my Twitter feed when you see Andy Robertson shouting out Ollie McBurney on his Instagram after Liverpool played Sheffield United, you know, things like that. You get a little insight into these guys genuinely seem to really like each other and they seem to really get on with each other as a group. So, yeah, good to see Lee Griffiths back and great to see him back, back first thing Monday morning. Yeah, definitely. Um, so 
just for clarification, would you be able to give us your starting eleven for Scotland's playoff final against Serbia? Yes, absolutely. So I this is obviously taken from a, a Steve, Steve Clark perspective of the way I think he is he's going to go on Thursday night. It's going to be same formation, the three-back formation. David Marshall will play in goals. You'll have a back three of Tierney, Gallagher and McTominay. You'll have Andy Robertson and Stephen McDonnell as wingbacks. Um, midfield three, McGregor, Jack and McGinn, as we discussed. And Lyndon Dykes and Ryan Fraser up front. That would be how I see it going. Ryan Christie? And not Ryan... Ryan Christie. Did I say Ryan Fraser? <laughs> <laughs> too many Ryans. Ryan. It's like, well, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the last um, camp we had. We had, we had Ryan Jack, Ryan Fortress, Ryan Fraser, Ryan Christie. Just too many Ryans. So yes. <laughs> Ryan Christie up front. <laughs> I wish it was Ryan Fraser, but Ryan Christie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can say I tweeted out the exact same team uh, last night using the BBC uh, squad selector. Yeah. So, uh, we both are very much on the same lines there. When we talk through these options, and uh, not even just that starting eleven, but the squad as a whole, how, how do you feel about the state of it overall at the moment? Um, I, th- I think I c- I'm as confident as I can be. You know, I'm as happy as I can mm. be. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that you know we are in a fortunate position where we are with the playoff being where it is. Because look, if you wind your mind back like 100 years to pre-COVID, whenever that was, when the playoff was supposed to be in March. I mean, Scott McTominay got a bad injury at Christmas time. John McGinn got a bad injury at Christmas time. We were looking like those two would almost definitely be missing for both playoff semi-final and final. And that was going to be a real big problem for Scotland. So the fact that we've got both those guys back, I mean, we've got a big squad, but we've got a fit squad. We've got a confident squad. Um, And I, I don't know that there's many players out there that you'd be thinking should definitely be included. I mean, there's a couple that might feel a bit hard done by. I mean, you've got the quarantine rules right now with America. I mean, Lewis Morgan's been doing doing great things over there in America, in the MLS. So maybe in normal times, he might be knocking on the door. But other than that, I don't see that many players that you would think definitely should be in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've spoken about previous missed opportunities. You've obviously written about it recently. Um, does that sort of feed into just how big this is? Like, uh, I know it might be hard to articulate in a way, but uh, just how big does this does this feel on Thursday, even without fans or the occasion of actually being there? Yeah, I mean, the way the way I've kind of summarised it in various different conversations is that you know that that article demonstrated that over the last twenty two years we have come to this place in terms of being ninety minutes away from qualifying. We've done that three times. We had, for Euro 2000, we had the two-legged playoff against England. For Euro 2004, we had the two-legged playoff against the Netherlands. And then for Euro 2008, we had the last qualifier against Italy, where if we'd won, we would have qualified. So whatever Serbia are, and look, we'll make absolutely no bones about it, Serbia are a very good side. You know, they've got very world-class players, you know, that play at huge huge clubs around the world, you know, your Alexander Kolarovs, your Dusan Tadic's, your um, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, your Alexander Mitrovic, so, like, they've got phenomenally good players and they're a good team, but they're not England, they're not the Netherlands and they're not Italy. So this is without doubt the best chance we've had to qualify for a tournament in 22 years. Um, and of course, not to mention, when this draw was made, when the playoff semi, when the playoff brackets were drawn and we knew that beat Israel and were either traveling to Serbia or to Norway, 
we looked at Norway and thought, well, we don't want to go there because Erling Haaland, you know, terrified, terrified the life out of me. Absolutely. But then on the flip side, you don't want to go to Belgrade either because obviously it's famous for just this unbelievably intimidating, horrible atmosphere. So you thought, especially when that draw was made, you know, best part of a year ago, you know, the confidence of our group, the mental strength of our group was probably being quite strongly questioned. You know, we had just capitulated to lose 4-0 in Russia. You know, this was not a strong group of players. So I certainly didn't fancy that atmosphere. So whatever we're going to on Thursday, it wouldn't be that atmosphere either. So there are grounds for optimism. We've both been over the course enough times to know that Scotland can and will lose games of football. So... <laughs> I make no prediction that we will win, but I make the prediction that we can win. Absolutely can win. I like that. That's a, a positive message to end on. Um, well, do you know what? Like, I think that, that kind of... We talked earlier about when I started the website and I started what, what my sort of vision of it was. I think positivity is that vision because life is too short just to be miserable and boring yeah. and things will go wrong and things will go bad. But, you know, the bad things you experience in your life just make the good things all the better. So we've had 22 years of bad things. <laughs> so just think how good that good thing will feel when we do finally get it. You know, I always, I always try and be positive. I always try and look at the bright side because mm. especially in this world that we live in right now, <laughs> there's precious little positivity. So that's what we try and do. You also said at the start of the show that I may be making you feel old and I hate to do that again, but I've never in my lifetime of Scotland been... Scotland's men being at a major tournament. So um, <laughs> the fact I'm 20, 20 years old and that hasn't happened yet is pretty hard. And uh, I really, really hope that that changes on Thursday. Yeah. Although, although, you know, like another, another thing that I, that's in the back of my mind is that, you know, you look at, um, look at Andy Murray. Every time he would go to Wimbledon, he would get the same questions about, it's been 60 odd years since a British man won Wimbledon. So therefore, when are you going to do it? And he was being expected to just carry this emotional baggage of decades of failure that he had no part in. He played no part in. And that must have been so hard for him. But as soon as he did it, as soon as he won Wimbledon, that baggage just disappears and it becomes so, so much easier to do it again. You know, look at the Scotland women's national team. They, they qualify for European championships and then they follow that up and go to the World Cup. And they're on track right now to go to Euros. That's three tournaments in a row. You know, I have no doubt that if Scotland can do this on Thursday, and then obviously if we can get to League A in the Nations League, then the monkey is off the back. The pressure is gone, and it will be so so much easier to qualify for more tournaments. So, if we can do this, it's I can say for almost certainty it won't be another twenty-two years before we do it again. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I think that. Um, the positivity that you've radiated will last with me for a good hour before the nerves uh, kick in again. So, <laughs> but before that you go, uh, do you want to let folk know where they can find you and the Tartan Scarf and any other projects you've got going on on social media and places like that? Yes, absolutely. So uh, the Tartan Scarf is thetartanscarf.com um, and you can find it uh, on Twitter at the Tartan Scarf. And we've also recently started on Instagram as well. So search for the Tartan Scarf there, but you can find all the links on the website. So yeah, come on board. And and obviously, as I said earlier, anyone who wants to contribute, who wants to get involved, my DMs are always open. My door's always open. I'm delighted to showcase work by by anyone and everyone. So get in touch. 
Brilliant. Well, Gordon, thanks again for coming on. and I really hope we're all celebrating on, on Thursday night and it's not another addition so to I. that list of heartbreaks. <laughs> so do I. So do I, mate. <laughs> Cheers, Gordon. Thank you for listening to this energy sports special ahead of Scotland against Serbia in the UEFA Euro 2020 playoff final on Thursday night. We're very, very excited about the game. And to show you just how excited we are, there's more great Scotland content coming this week. We've already had an episode of the Football Roundup out where Jack Donnelly, Stuart Garvey and myself looked back at the weekend and discussed our nerves for the big game in Belgrade. Energy Extra Time will be with you slightly earlier this week on Thursday morning as we are going to get as many of our football pundits as possible to come on since it's such an important game, uh, with the majority of us having never seen Scotland's men in a major tournament. Speaking of which, editor slash boss man Jack Donnelly will be bringing you a special preview piece centred around us Scotland fans who haven't had the pleasure of seeing the boys off to contend with the best in a tournament, which you'll be able to find on the website energysport.net and on our Twitter at ENRGSport. Thanks again for listening to this chat with the brilliant Gordon Shiak from the Tartan Scarf. Don't forget to check them out online and on socials. And also don't forget to subscribe to Energy Sport Podcast to hear all our regular shows as well as specials like this. Hope you'll keep up with what we're putting out this week and we hope you have a smile on your face come Thursday night. I've been Sean McGill and as we keep saying, we're just one game away. Cheers again. <laughs>